What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got a deep dive on the story of brand new and taking back Sunday's beef. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out and you're not in the area, you can download the station's app, search 94.3 The X in the App Store, and tune in this Saturday. You can join the official Note to Scene Facebook group to discuss the show, industry numbers, scene nostalgia, and more. If you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, so the story of Brand New versus Taking Back Sunday is one of the scene's oldest tales. As we know, emo began its ascent to mainstream popularity at the turn of the century, and at the forefront were many bands from Long Island's bubbling local scene that carried over from the late 90s. Two of those were Brand New and TBS. Honestly, the trajectories and subsequent legacies of both of these bands tell the overarching story of our world. Success, excess, and the crashing and burning that eventually came in either commercial or moral senses. The legacy of emo and the scene is forever stained with falls from grace in multiple directions, and Brand New vs. Taking Back Sunday was one of the first that gave way to a musical movement that captivated a generation, for better or for worse. And how did it all start? Of course, over a girl. So the origin story has never officially been explained by anyone involved, and the handful of times it was addressed by the band members, it was all incredibly indirect, and I honestly don't buy most of it, but we're going to get to that a little later. So Jesse Lacey was actually an original member of Taking Back Sunday. Guitarist Eddie Reyes formed the band in late 1999, bringing Lacey and lead guitarist John Nolan into the fold with him. Soon after forming, they recorded a self-titled demo EP, which as far as I can find, Lacey does play bass and some backing vocals on. But the band also had a different vocalist during this time, named Antonio Longo. Check out this song called Summer Stars. demo, things basically imploded between Lacey and Nolan, leading to the infamous feud between the two. Now, there are multiple versions of what actually happened the night that the irreparable rift was formed, so let's start with the general consensus and then we'll dive into the other theories. So Lacey and Nolan are best friends, some have even said childhood friends, kinda like the same story as Ronnie Radke and Max Green we talked about a few episodes back. So one fateful night, they're both at a house party, and Nolan ends up allegedly sleeping with Lacey's girlfriend at the time, while Lacey is in the same house. Now, 
Like I said, there are other theories. One says Lacey wasn't dating the girl and only liked her, and Nolan only made out with her. There's another that says Nolan only kissed her once. As ridiculous as all of this sounds, this is really where it all started and what fueled emo message board gossip for years. Nevertheless, Lacey lost it over whatever it was that was actually happening between Nolan and this girl. This is what led him to quit Taking Back Sunday. Now, most historical retellings of the brand new and TBS saga will say that after Jesse left Taking Back Sunday, he joined a band called The Rookie Lot. I'm going to throw a wrench in here, and I could be totally wrong. I seriously want someone to show me proof that I am, because I think Jesse was in the rookie lot before he was in Taking Back Sunday, and after he quit TBS, he started brand new. I think this because the first rookie lot demo was released in 1998. There's some uncertainty over when exactly in 1999 or even very early 2000 that TBS formed, according to an alternative press print feature on TBS from 2003 and an old t-shirt the band officially formed in November of 1999, but it for certain wasn't 1998, and that's when the first Rookie Lot release was. And then the second and final Rookie Lot release was a split with a band called Yearly, and that came out in 1999. The general consensus is that Jesse quit TBS, did the Rookie Lot, and then formed Brand New over the course of 1999 into 2000. But the 1998 Rookie Lot demo release doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't line up anywhere. Literally none of this matters in the overall scheme of things. It doesn't affect the beef or either band's trajectories at all, but it just bugs the hell out of me that I can't tie it all together. So if anyone can spell it out for me, please do. Okay, so Jesse is out of TBS and Brand New has formed. TBS recruited Adam Lazara to replace Jesse on bass originally, then the original TBS vocalist Antonio quit while they were in the middle of recording their 2001 self-titled EP, and Lazara moved from bass to assume his now iconic role as vocalist of Taking Back Sunday. Meanwhile, Jesse Lacey and company are hard at work on the first brand new developments. Jesse Lacey, Brian Lane, and Garrett Tierney began playing together while Brandon Riley parted ways with them in order to join the movie life. Lacey, Lane, and Tierney then recruited Vinnie Accardi on guitar and thus Brand New was born in 2000. They released a demo sometime that year with songs that would all end up on their 2001 debut album, Your Favorite Weapon. Producer Mike Sapone recorded the album and went on to produce every album the band released during their career. But the focus here are the moments on the album that aim at John Nolan and Taking Back Sunday, most notably the iconic emo anthem, 70 Times 7. There is so much to unpack about this song that I gotta do it in layers. So the title, 70 Times 7, it references the Bible passage, Matthew chapter 18, verse 22, which reads, Jesus answered you, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. The verse refers to a larger depiction of Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, asking Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother if he sins against him, and if seven times was enough. To which Jesus replied, not seven, but 70 times seven, which is just a Jesus metaphor to say you should always forgive people. So the title and biblical reference is ironic in this case because the song is the furthest thing from forgiveness. Some people think Jesse references the party where his beef with Nolan began in the first verse of the track, where he says, For 12 years I've held it all together, but a night like this is begging to pull me apart. I played it quiet, left you deep in conversation, I felt uncool and hung out around the kitchen. I remember I kept thinking that I know you never would, and now I know I want to kill you like a best friend only could. 
Keep in mind, this was only 2001, but still, rock bands didn't write diss tracks, and they sure as hell didn't wish death on other people. But as we all know, there's plenty more throughout the rest of the song, especially the bridge, which is certainly in the top 10 emo bridges of all time. He says, have another drink and drive yourself home. I hope there's ice on all the roads and you can think of me when you forget your seatbelt and again when your head goes through the windshield. And then of course, there's the additional bridge lines. You're as subtle as a brick in the small of my back, so let's endless call and end this conversation. Which sprung a huge rumor back in the day that that's what Lacey told Nolan on a phone call after everything that happened. Do with that info what you will. So after this, TBS fired back in 2002, a year later on their debut album, Tell All Your Friends, with the song There's No I in Team, which had multiple direct shots at Brand New. First off, Adam and Nolan toss lines back and forth throughout the song and begin with the lyric, and I've got a $20 bill that says you're up late nights starting fistfights versus fences in your backyard, wearing your black eye like a badge of honor, soaking in sympathy from friends who never loved you nearly half as much as me. Of course, the $20 bill bit references Brand New's mixtape, and then TBS goes straight for the throat, quoting lyrics directly from 70 times 7 Is this what you call tact? I swear you're as subtle as a brick in the small of my back, so let's end this call and end this conversation. There's nothing worse. I swear you have no idea the jealousy that became got me thinking that you always had it way too easy. Historically, track against track, Brand New won the battle, but in the moment, it was like nothing this bubbling emo world had ever seen before. We were enthralled. The message boards were alive with the glory of what would end up being emo's most iconic beef, which led to the dissection of other songs from the bands. People linked everything from lyrics and Brand New's mixtape and TBS's Timberwolves at New Jersey to the feud, and then came the merch. Even at this point, both bands knew they could make some money off of the beef, so why not make some shirts, right? Brand New printed the iconic Mics Are For Singing, Not Swinging shirt that was a direct shot at Adam Lazar's signature mic swings that he would do during the band's live performances. And of course, TBS hit back with a shirt that had a microphone that said, Proudly Swingin' Since 1999. Again, Brand New won this battle as far as history is concerned, but during the moment, it was pure hysteria among the band's fan groups. The ultimate question was, were you Team Brand New or Team Taking Back Sunday? Over the next few years, we would see that TBS were able to catapult themselves to breakout level success, while Brand New's trajectory followed more of a slow burn movement. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the two groups actually initially squashed their beef in 2002 and did a tour together. They spent that summer on the road along with Rufio and even performed songs together. At a date in Boulder, Colorado, that one has become pretty well known in scene lore as a video from that night was captured and preserved on YouTube a few years later. There is a clip that shows TBS performing There's No I in Team with Jesse Lacey and Lazara saying before the song starts, this song is called 70 Times 7 and or There's No I in Team, depending on which record you bought first. Check it out. We have one more song left. This song is called 70 Times 7 and or No I in Team, depending on which record you bought first. We have a friend of ours named Jesse. He sang before us in a band called, wait, in a band called Brand New. He's gonna come help us out. There's also a video of Brand New sarcastically performing There's No I in Team in 2003. Listen to Jesse here segue into the song. Well, if I say piss everyone off like really bad, normally I'm gonna cause 
I'm gonna cause an, an internet outbreak, like, outrage right now. You guys all check, check the message boards in like, three hours. Don't do it. See what happens. Don't do it. I know you can do it. Don't do it. Why? Come on, I want you to do it once. Because all these people are like, oh my god, you did that call the managers. Why the hell is he doing that? You know why? Because it's funny and it's a good song. Don't make me take out the money. It's a good song. That's why. And it's definitely worth noting that Vinny is sarcastically swinging a microphone around this entire time that Jesse is playing. So despite the two seemingly mending some fences on the outside, it seems like there was just an underlying animosity that never faltered. But despite being Emo's grand clash of titans, this is where the public side of the drama really peaked. A few years after this, Jesse and Nolan actually went on stage together and performed Belt with Say Anything. As we talked about on the Victory Records deep dive, Taking Back Sunday exploded into near breakout success with their second album in 2004, Where You Wanna Be, selling 163,000 units first week and subsequently getting the band out of Victory Records' death grip and onto Warner Brothers. Their next album and major label debut, Louder Now, did 158,000 first week and Make Damn Sure became the band's only song to ever break out on the Hot 100. After that, though, the band became a bit of their own worst enemy. Internal struggles and lineup instability led to musical output that, much like a majority of their counterparts from Emo's mainstream peak, just couldn't keep up with the evolving soundscape. And over the next 10 years, they just transitioned into a legacy band. Their 2009 album dropped over 100,000 units from Louder Now's first week to 48,000. Two years later, in 2011, that was cut in half on their self-titled album, which did 27,000, despite Nolan and Sean Cooper rejoining the band. In 2014, they dropped again to 22,000, and then in 2016, they got cut in half again to around 11,000. Brand New, on the other hand, has had a vastly different trajectory after the dust settled on the outside from their feud. Deja and Tendu, although nowhere near the level TBS was at the time, was still a success from your favorite weapon. Didn't make a huge splash first week, but The Boy Who Blocked His Own Shot and Sick Transit Gloria both got radio play and the music videos were in constant rotation on MTV and Fuse. The album was also a noticeable style change from Weapon. It was a more refined approach to the popular emo pop-punk formula at the time. While TBS matured from the emo post-hardcore era into a rock band into whatever they became in the 2010s, Brand New only got darker from Deja on out. That album was an uneasy look into Jesse Lacey's mind, and things only got 
basically more unsettling as the next albums came. Despite Deja not being massive in overall scope, it was enough to catch the attention of Interscope, and in 2006, Brand New released their major label debut, The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. It sold 60,000 units first week and completed Brand New's evolution as a run-of-the-mill pop-punk band into a mystical entity that we revered for many years that followed. From the artwork, to the lyrics, to the music, the mystique surrounding this album is unmatched in the scene as well as far beyond it. And I don't want to turn this into a brand new deep dive, but Jesse's lyricism is a window into the person he was during this time. Not that Adams weren't for TBS, but there's a reason why Brand New became what it did and TBS became what it did. Anyone actually listening to what Jesse was saying in these songs could tell he wasn't in the best place, whether the themes were regarding a higher power or self-medicating. But we as humans romanticize self-destruction. We romanticize self-tortured souls. Thematically, it's literally what emo was built on. It extends into nearly every facet of entertainment. I mean, look at shows like House and Rick and Morty, or hell, even the real-life instance would be Steve Jobs and all the documentaries they made about him. Just last episode, we saw Tony Brummel of Victory Records idolize Jobs and become a raging narcissist that fucked over band after band after band. But by today's standards, House, Rick, and Steve would have probably all been canceled and banished from having any kind of public career at this point. And look what happened to Jesse. So, there were a few more instances over the years where TBS acknowledged the feud. In 2012, Adam, John, and Sean Cooper were playing an acoustic show and were getting ready to play There's No I in Team. John and Adam beat around the bush for a minute or so debating whether or not to explain the song's actual origins, and then Sean finally says, John and Jesse both liked the same girl, John made out with the girl, and Jesse got pissed, and that was it. Personally. I don't buy that at all. If it was as simple as that, they would have come out and said that years ago. It wouldn't be this difficult thing to talk about. Anyway, listen for yourself. What the, the fighting and the songs were about were much, much better than what really happened. So it really kind of ruins it to, to like take away, it just takes away because it's like such a great, there's so many great stories out there. It's, it, it's, it, it's, it's funny too, because even after all this time, I got folks come, come up to me like, yo, so. <laughs> you hate Jesse Lacey, right? I'm like, I don't even know that motherfucker, man. <laughs> but I like to keep it real mysterious, so I'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> Slow walk away. <laughs> but the, um, it, well, the whole thing is, we haven't even. I mean, see, because John and Jesse grew up together, and we had this thing, because we listened to a lot of hip-hop at the time, so we figured... Woo! Yeah, hip-hop! <laughs> Dave. <laughs> so, so we figured, why not try this thing out? You know, because Jay-Z and Nas had that thing. Yeah. I think... Uh, I think it, it sounds really ridiculous to, for me to be talking about it to a microphone. <laughs> try the rookie line! That is, that is like... Yeah, that is definitely so. part of the truth. And it absolutely worked because it came this way yeah. bigger thing than it ever was. Yeah. I think that Sean Cooper can tell the real story to people. Yeah. I think really when it comes down to it, Sean Cooper is the man. Yeah. The, real truth. Yeah. the truth behind the truth. Hang it with Mr. Cooper. No, I don't. Oh. I thought you were going to tell a great story. That was your shining moment to blow Philadelphia's mind. 
All of Philadelphia is in this one room okay, right okay. now. Okay, okay, check this out, okay. John and Jesse liked a girl. John made out with a girl before Jesse did. Jesse got bummed about it. All these songs happened because of it. <laughs> Making out with chicks. And, and now, 12 years later, we're still discussing it. Let's play the fucking song. Then, in a 2015 interview, Adam revealed that his feelings regarding Jesse hadn't changed. Here's an excerpt from that interview. When asked about playing a song like There's No I in Team, which directly references a long-standing feud with the band Brand New, specifically frontman slash former Taking Back Sunday bassist Jesse Lacey, Lazara continues to add fuel to the old fire. I think Jesse Lacey is just a dick, he says. He just sucks. He's not a good person. Okay, so having worked behind the scenes in the industry for a good while now, I've seen how artists kind of actually are versus the way they portray themselves. Every once in a while, you do come across someone who is straight-laced and cuts through all the bullshit and is genuinely the person they portray themselves as. But time and time again, regardless of genre, rock, pop, hip-hop, etc., once you start getting momentum as an artist and you become the alpha in your environment, you start believing your own bullshit quick. Brand new were always the Moby Dick of the scene, and by the time I got to working in it, they were as elusive as ever. And at that point, the few times I did work with Adam and TBS, he had come to terms with his downturn and relevancy and was entering the humbled rock star stage. So for the most part, he wasn't too difficult, but we create these images in our minds of who people that we look up to are. For us who grew up in the scene, we were young and impressionable as hell. And I even look back at some of the songs I was listening to before I was even a teenager and like, holy shit, like Atreus, This Flesh a Tomb, where they say, I feel immortal and I wanna make you feel the same. So stand by me as we immolate, we can burn in each other's arms. Like, that's what we were singing as kids. Uh, no wonder our generation has trouble processing emotions. But to get back to the brand new and Taking Back Sunday story, the TLDR of the entire thing is that it was two dudes arguing over a girl. The longer version is how the toxic traits in those people affected those around them and each of their band's careers, from the music itself to their individual trajectories and eventual downfalls. As you likely know, Jesse Lacey was accused of sexual misconduct by two women in November of 2017, which included soliciting photos of them when they were minors, among other things. Officially, Brand New have been silent since Jesse released a statement following the allegations. There have been a few blips on the radar, though, like a mysteriously unreleased Brand New song called Simple Man being leaked onto the internet on New Year's Eve 2018. And then most recently, a few weeks ago, when music journalists Dan Ozzie and David Anthony sat on their podcast while discussing a Ryan Adams interview pitch that Brand New is about to, quote, attempt to re-enter society. So take that for what you will. There is no other concrete information to go off of other than that, but I will say the potential for Brand New comeback has been whispered around for the last few years the same way My Chemical Romance's comeback was whispered around for years. It feels the exact same way. And to that, I will quickly sidebar and say, if you want to know when a band is coming back, or at least hear a rumor that a band is coming back, be friends with booking agents. If a band is worth anything, they'll likely play a show before anything else, and booking agents have the loosest lips in the business. But beware, I said rumor because bookies were bragging around an MZR comeback for years before it actually happened. 
But really, after the dust settled from the songs on those first TBS and brand new albums, there wasn't much back and forth between the two bands, which makes it interesting how history has made it seem like it was this Jay-Z versus Nas level feud, when really it was just two insecure dudes who were actually kinda good at music and just so happened to be at the forefront of a movement that would explode over the next few years. Does it still go way deeper than that behind the scenes? I definitely believe so. Like I said earlier, we really have no idea what these people are like behind closed doors. Even working with someone professionally on random occasions, I still didn't get the real Adam Lazara. We don't know what actually happened that night between Jesse, John, and that girl. We don't know what kind of people Jesse and John were in the late 90s. We don't know what conversations were had, what phone calls were had, what events led to that night, or what happened afterwards. All we really have are the songs, and that's why this beef has stood the test of time. 70 times 7 and there's no I in team will last until the end, and so will the lore around them. Alright, that does it for this week's deep dive. Before we wrap up, let's catch up on radio a bit. So it looks like MGK and Black Bear have begun their fall after peaking at number 4 on Top 40 Radio. That is still a great run for that track. They're down to number 6 right now and down over 6% in plays. At Alternative Radio, they're at number 5 and down 2% in plays. It was a hell of a run. We'll see where it's at next episode, but I do expect it to have a pretty big fall. Over at Alternative Radio, 21 Pilots Shy Away is still sitting at number one, but there hasn't been a top 40 push yet, which I just don't understand. Hopefully that comes soon because they need it if they want to get any momentum outside of the click behind this album. All Time Lows Once in a Lifetime has officially broken the top 10 on Alternative Radio, sitting at number 10 and up nearly 5% in plays. And interesting here, the MGK song with Kellen Quinn is now inside the top 20 on Alternative Radio at number 19. Off the top of my head, this is the highest Kellen has ever been on alt radio. I'm going to be watching this track pretty close over the next month or so. Kellen might be able to somehow have a big moment from it here. The Main are continuing their steady rise with Sticky, sitting at number 25 and up nearly 10% in plays. I have a really good feeling about that song. Nothing Nowhere drops to 26, marking the definitive end of his rise up the chart for now. Fingers crossed they can get some momentum behind another track from the new album. Unfortunate news to report again for the Mod Sun and Avril Lavigne track, as they've all but completely dropped off the chart, sitting at number 47. I really hope that Avril album drops soon so I can finally do the official Avril deep dive on the podcast. Over at Rock Radio, Bring Me the Horizon have broken the top five, sitting at number four, and they're still up 3.5% in plays, making this their highest charting song on Rock Radio since Throne in 2015, which peaked at number one. Right now, they have The Offspring, Seether, and Aaron Jones in front of them. Offspring is starting to lose some momentum, so I don't foresee them being a problem as long as we can keep the momentum up. But Seether and Aaron are both still up in plays, and Seether is almost a guarantee number one at rock radio, even still nowadays. So we'll see how the next month shakes out. But they have a shot at having their second number one rock radio song here. Surprisingly, almost right behind them are A Day to Remember at number six with Everything We Need. This is officially the highest charting song of their career on rock radio. So the band finally has a moment they can champion despite how much of a shit show the album has been so far. And I'm sure they're going to drive this into the ground trying to pass off how they're doing so well and everything is just awesome. It's definitely a start, but they're going to need a lot more than just this to get the ship righted. 
Black Veil Brides are sitting at number 17, up over 6% in plays. This song has just kind of been writing in the 17 to 20 range for over a month now, so I'm not sure if it's going to get more life behind it or not. We'll have to see. And finally, Beartooth's The Past is Dead is at number 23, up over 10% in plays. Keep an eye on that song. I think it's going to get some momentum here during the summer. All right, that does it for the show this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at notetoseen at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and join the official Note to Scene group on Facebook. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey.